0: Welcome to Third Tuesday Conversation, a monthly podcast that focuses on the ministry of faith formation with children, youth, and families in ELCA congregations. Our goal is to engage in conversations that strengthen and empower your ministry world. This podcast is produced by the ELCA Youth Ministry Network. I'm Elizabeth Pedersen. I'm Danica Olson.
1: And I'm Adam Butler. Happy October, everyone.
0: Yeah. month, October.
1: Is that a thing people say?
0: Booktober? I don't
2: think yeah. so. Spooky no? okay. season?
1: All right, whatever. I was going for something. I don't know. I, <laughs> that was really I good. I went for it. Don't
2: Spooktober. quit your day job. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we're back for another third Tuesday conversation <laughs> in Haunttober.
0: <laughs> Can't
1: even. No. Wow. Just try those
0: in the pulpit and see what happens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, it. What a great thing it is to be back for another uh, third Tuesday conversation. And today we have a guest. What a wonderful thing that is. Um, So spooky of us. So spooky and (laughs) uh, Uh, (laughs) mysterious of us. Uh, We have Mark Ostriker or Marco from uh, the youth cartel with us to talk all things youth ministry and the work they're doing through the youth cartel. Welcome, Mark thank you i'm here to be spooky <laughs> yes yes. that's the best thank you not rehearsing at all uh, we, we always love when guests rise to our <laughs> level of nonsense so that's... Yes. i'm i was kind of digging hottober tober oh, that's good <laughs> at least it was an a for effort man <laughs> that
3: you. was impressive thank you
2: Oh my gosh! Now he's gonna get a big head. So don't let the compliments just end there.
3: Yeah. Now let's um, let's be clear. I'm mocking. (laughs) (laughs) You'll fit right right in. You (laughs) are speaking our
2: language. (laughs) (laughs) I love Uh. it. Oh my God! Well,
1: Mark, it's good to have you with us. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and also the work that you're doing uh, with Youth Cartel. You're the the founder of Youth Cartel, and you're doing all sorts of wonderful things. So, tell us just a little bit about yourself and your history in youth ministry, and and uh, uh, at least a little introduction into uh, yeah. Youth
3: yeah. You bet. I, I've been uh, this. I've been in youth ministry for forty years, so I'm I'm an old guy, and uh, I spent about half of my life as a youth director in a church. Most of that I was working with junior hires, so it tended to be in larger churches because only larger churches have specialists in that area. And uh, then I worked for a decade at youth specialties. Um, some of those who have been around the block a few more times might be uh, might know of youth specialties. Uh, I spent three years there as a publisher and then eight years as the president. And then in 2009, in one of the many times that uh, organization got sold, I lost my job. Uh, and after about a year of kind of exploring and trying to figure things out, I started the youth cartel. So we, we exist to train and resource church-based youth workers. Um, and that these days, it, it's evolved over the last uh, 12 years. But these days, that primarily takes two forms. We're a publisher. So we publish, oh, probably about five physical books a year and another half dozen uh, digital resources. And we, oddly enough, we're a tiny, tiny, tiny publisher, but we publish more youth ministry thought books than any other publisher right now. There's just very few publishers publishing in that area. Hmm. Um, and then the other side is our coaching side. So we we have a year long kind of leadership development program for youth workers um, that we've had seven hundred people go through uh, in groups of ten in cohorts wow. of ten. And we also train people to do coaching. so that's kind of the the other umbrellas, everything under that. So yeah, that's that's me. I've been married for thirty six years to Jeannie. She's a child therapist with an emphasis in trauma and works with foster kids. and then I have two adult children twenty four and twenty eight years old. That's so, nice. Oh. And I, for the last 24 years, since I moved to San Diego, where I live, I've been a volunteer in the youth ministry at my church. So after, you know, years and years of being the paid youth worker, now I am, at this moment, I am a sixth grade boys, small group leader uh, at my church. was with them last night. Yes. And I have a fairly new group. I've only had them for about a month and they are once again keeping me humble.
2: <laughs> I love hey, yeah. sixth graders so much. They're like my favorite age of humans. They're so yeah. weird and so oh great.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, just the like this is both humorous and a little tragic, but the prayer requests that I got for my guys, uh one a uh, two of them were insistent that we pray for their friend who they weren't willing to tell us their name. That that friend would get more likes on their YouTube channel. Oh
2: <laughs>
3: so that that was an important prayer request. My math test, which is it tomorrow? No, it's in two weeks. <laughs> yes. And then total pendulum swing kid asking for prayer that his mom would staff drugs. So wow. I mean, it's yeah. the whole thing in it un- unfiltered, right? Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, oh my gosh. So great. Wow. Yeah.
2: Okay. So youth ministry is a weird land right now. Um,
0: always, but yes.
2: I mean, right. It's always weird, but particularly right now, it's extra weird. The things that used to hold water don't anymore. And we know that you're, um, talking to through coaching and, and whatnot, lots of youth workers around the country. Um, so I think I'm curious, what are you hearing? is the landscape of youth ministry right now and what are maybe the top concerns or things that people want to spend time talking about
3: Mm. yeah what a great question and man we could talk for we could talk for five hours just on that right yeah Yeah, so so buckle
1: up everybody (laughs) (laughs) so
3: (laughs) this is a five
2: hour
1: edition of
2: third Tuesday (laughs)
3: conversation
1: Hopefully you're setting out on a long road trip right about now.
3: Luckily I brought two cups of coffee. with Um, so there, there are lots of ways, like different ways you could consider that you could talk about very immediate stuff. How have teenagers changed because of the pandemic? We could talk about, um, more broad things, what's changed in youth culture over the last, you know, decade. And maybe we'll start there real quick, because I think even to look at some of the impact of the pandemic on kids has become uh, like a hyper accelerant on changes that were already in motion. It's not like, it's not necessarily like it introduced a whole lot of, mm, New changes to the lives of teenagers as much as it accelerated things that were already happening. So, the way that I have been thinking about it for a while now is that uh, there are three primary tasks to adolescents, and those are identity, figuring out the who am I question, autonomy, which is a question of agency how do my choices matter? Can I actually make a difference in the trajectory of my own life? Can I actually impact other people? Um, can I maybe have an impact on the world? Right. So that's autonomy. You might've heard from fuller youth, uh, fuller youth Institute. They use the word purpose for this. Um, I prefer the word autonomy because I, I don't think that teenagers are asking what's my purpose in life. That feels more of a young adult question to me, but I do think there's an agency question, mm-hmm. right. And then, uh, belonging is the third one to whom and where do I belong? So those three tasks, I would suggest have reshuffled in their prioritization at two points over the last 75 years of modern youth culture. And the first of those changes was uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. In that first era of youth culture, the dominant task of those three was identity. The average teenager was viewing everything themselves. God, the world, through the lenses of their search for identity. Mm-hmm. And that search, that who am I search was then informing the answers to the other tasks. So if I start to figure out who I am, that helps me understand how my choices matter. That's the autonomy question and where I belong. You might call that the affinity question. And I, maybe, we don't, maybe we won't take the time to go into this right now, but if For a bunch of cultural reasons, there was a shift in the late 60s, early 80s, and autonomy became the long leg of the three legged stool. And during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the average teenager was asking, How do my choices matter? That will help me understand who I am and where I belong. And churches developed a whole lot of great approaches to youth ministry in that era. I would suggest that era, the kind of 70s, 80s, and 90s, was when the youth group was born. Was. There might've been a young people's Sunday school class prior to that, or or some kind of a religious ed experience confirmation program or something prior to that. But there wasn't really youth ministry in the way we think of it today. In fact, youth workers in the 50s and 60s were mostly parachurch youth workers. They were people who went outside the church to do youth ministry in the context of where teenagers were. And then we saw another change, and this is now when we can finally start to answer the question that you asked. Um, I always have lots of words to my answers, I should I love tell you. It. Love um, me too. So Way to the, my heart. the second turn then took place around the turn of millennium. It wasn't because of the internet, but the internet fueled it. Um, it was actually because boomers, my generation, started to worship at the altar of youth. We were the first generation, that is baby boomers, were the first generation in the history of the United States to not aspire to old age, but instead aspire to hold on to our youth. Mm -hmm. So every generation prior to boomers had looked forward to the perceived benefits of old age. My extended family, none of whom have moved away. Nobody did that. Everybody's right here. They're all going to take care of me and they're all going to respect me. Right. So that was the perceived benefits of only boomers, either because we realized that that was no longer realistic or for other selfish reasons. We said, we don't want that. Instead, we want to hold on to the values, behaviors, and norms of our youth. And we started to worship at the altar of youth and doing so, we elevated youth culture from being a subculture, which it had always been to being the dominant culture in America. So sometime around the year 2000, youth culture became synonymous with pop culture. And we all, no matter what our age, take our cues from that about Mm -hmm. everything from hard goods and technology to language and music and all kinds of artifacts of culture, but also values and behaviors and norms, Mm -hmm. right? I am, I know this is a video podcast, so only the you three are looking at me right now, but I am exhibit A of this, right? I have chosen (laughs) a profession where I can have tattoos and piercings and a ridiculous beard and funky glasses, and I can sit in my backyard uh, to work with a cigar, by the way. Um, And I mean, right, this is, I'm holding on to the values and behaviors and norms of my youth. Not that I smoked cigars when I was a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the problem is youth culture doesn't want to be the dominant culture in America. So it, because agency is still a question, it still wants to be unique and different. So youth culture responded to this worship by splintering. And maybe the single most important change for people to understand when they're thinking about the experience of teenagers today, uh, compared to when they were a teenager, unless you're 25, is that there used to be one monolithic youth culture, and today there isn't. There are thousands of cultures. And listen, church leader, ministry leader, youth leader, whoever you are listening to this every youth group, every youth ministry is multicultural these days, whether there's racial or economic diversity or not, uh, because teenagers are all living in multiple different cultures or desperately trying to find one. And this is what reshuffled the priority of those three tasks. Again, as soon as there was no longer one kind of, maybe you've heard before young life used to train all of their youth workers, right? If you want to reach the campus, they meant the high school, Mm -hmm. then you have to reach the key influencers. And it was kind of like this Reaganomics trickle down of teenage social influence. I'm picturing it like a pyramid, right? Reach the football team captain and the cheerleading team captain, and eventually you will reach everyone. That's just gone. We all see that, right? When we explain it that way, it's just gone. Uh, And the reality is that now teenagers are desperately trying to find a place to belong. And that's why belonging now has become the most important of those three tasks. Mm -hmm. And maybe most important is the right, uh, not the right language. It's the priority of the three. And like I talked about how identity was the lenses through which a 50s and 60s teenager was viewing the world. The search for belonging are now the lenses through which the average teenager is viewing everything, themselves, God and the world. And so that as they look for a place to find belonging and maybe it's just even provisionally good enough for the moment, that ends up informing the other tasks. So where I find belonging tells me who I am, the identity question, and how my choices matter, the autonomy question. Mm-hmm. So just think of it this way. Teenager in the 50s and 60s was asking who am I that will tell me where I belong? teenager today is saying, where can I find something that at least temporarily feels like belonging? That will tell me who I am. Hmm. And it's just, that is just a major, major shift. It just reorients everything and it demands, it calls to us who care about teenagers to prioritize how can we create meaningful places of belonging that Hmm. inform who teenagers are as beloved children of God. And uh, and that also means that we have to figure out how to offer unconditional belonging prior to belief, which is not what we've traditionally done. Yeah. We've usually said you got to believe like us before we offer you belonging. And, and now people won't stick around for that. Right. So yeah. that's the primary shift I've seen in youth culture. But people ask me a lot. So does that uh, has the pandemic wiped all that out? Um, cause <laughs> that first era of youth culture was approximately 20 years long. The second one was approximately 30 years long. And now we've been 20 to 25 years in this third one. And so it makes sense just in terms of pattern recognition to say that we should be approaching a turn. And a lot of the people, and when we talk about this in my coaching program, they're often asking, so is the pandemic bringing on another turn? And my honest answer is, I don't know. I'm I'm not a good futurist uh, or predictor of things to come, and I don't have a crystal ball. My sense is that instead of another turn, it's accelerating this need for belonging, Because of the isolation that teenagers experienced, and we all felt this when we started to regather with our kids, right? there was just this desperate desire to be together. I mean, in the earliest weeks of my youth group meeting in person again, it didn't matter what we did. It didn't matter at all if our program was cool or fun or anything. We could get it. They just wanted to be together. And I think there's a a lot of residual from that
1: mm-hmm.
3: and a, a desire to to uh they just it's just so critical for them to define themselves through the places that they find belonging. And so when belonging is hard to find, it becomes difficult to even know who I am.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: There, there, was a whole lot of words.
1: Loved That's all of them. Really good. <laughs> Super helpful. I'm wondering how you know. So uh, specifically, the work that you're doing with uh, Youth uh, Cartel—I think you said 2009. So 13 years of of doing that uh, that work. How has this shift in culture that's kind of happened over those years um, changed youth leaders? How have you noticed that that's uh, the 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 shift in youth culture changed uh, youth leaders and what they need and the ministry that they do, yeah, very interesting question. I don't think I've been asked that before. I,
3: I'm going to say uh, a couple ways and not enough. Um, so,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: one is that I mean, younger youth workers, and I will say under thirty. I'm describing them too, right? Oh, so sure. Yep. They're indigenous to this culture. I'm not a fan, by the way, of of uh, generational studies. You know how people will say all Gen Xers are this way, all millennials are this sure. way. I, that. I think it's kind of uh, unfair and it's uh, to me it feels questionable in its accuracy. But what I do think is fair and is in many ways just a way of reframing that is that col- clearly culture changes and some people in uh, any at any given time in culture are indigenous to that culture and I would say mainly people under 30, right? And some of us are immigrants to that culture. So I'm an immigrant to the current culture, but I'm still living in it. So I'm still living in the same culture that my teenagers are. They just have never lived in anything but that. So it has shaped them in certain ways, because it's all they've ever known, right? So under 30 youth workers, maybe even under 35 youth workers, uh, I'm describing them too. They they, they need these meaningful places of belonging, and that helps uh, them understand who they are and how their choices matter. And the other reality, sorry, somebody's going to be offended by this. I'm just quoting the data here, okay? Adolescence is now understood to, end on average, at age 30. Um, now there's a lot of variation in that, and so there's 21 year olds who are fully functioning as adults, uh, in every way, but there's also 35 year olds who are still, uh, really functioning as adolescents. Um, so yeah, the adolescence is now understood to be a 20 year journey on average from 10 to 30 years old, which means that every youth worker should be able to go to their church board or trustees and ask them for 20 percent, uh, no, I'm sorry, 25 percent of the church budget because. It's about one quarter of the human lifespan. Right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound fair?
2: Yeah. Yeah,
3: Yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm sure it
2: will be an easy argument for everyone.
3: Good luck with that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I think that in some ways that's that's a big chunk of youth workers would fit into that description that this is I'm describing the culture that they're in. Um, I. I think in other ways maybe the I'll go to the negative one first I don't think it has impacted enough of us enough that was a horrible sense <laughs> makes sense though <laughs> in other words I think a simple majority of youth workers are not aware of how different the experience of being a teenager is today and are still The the short way of saying it is they're running a great youth ministry for
0: 1986,
3: Yeah, Uh, but we're not living in 1986. Now, as soon as I would say that to a bunch of people in the room, they might feel uh, even agreement with that and maybe even some shame or some sense of, yeah, I'm not a good youth worker, especially I, you know, I talk with a lot of volunteer youth workers and they're often apologizing. Uh, I'm, we don't have a real youth ministry. We we can't afford a youth pastor. So, and, and often they're doing some of the very best stuff. So this is not about that, but the wrong assumption so often is, oh yeah, our ministry is not cool. We don't have a cool youth room and we don't have a, uh, uh, an awesome band that leads worship. We There's no way we could do that. And we. I, my teaching skills aren't very good. And so they think that it's about those kind of iconic old school trappings of great youth ministry, right? So that archetype of super attractive and fun. I don't mean attractive visually. I mean, an attractive youth ministry Clearly, I'm attractive also, but that's not what I've <laughs> So, yeah, the, uh, an attractive youth ministry that's fun and uh, it's got all that kind of sexiness to it. And that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I think it's great if you're a great and engaging teacher, if you're a funny storyteller, if you can really help kids understand uh, the truth of God's word. I, I think those are all great. But at the end of the day, great youth ministry. Here's my definition. Ready? Let's hear it. Walking alongside teenagers on their journeys toward Christ, or Jesus. That's that's the great youth ministry. And too often we mm-hmm. wrongly conclude great youth ministry is about the programs mm-hmm. uh, and trying to put on better programs. And we, I know, I'm talking to ELCA youth workers here who are often in not the biggest church in town, uh, and they look down the street at that large church with the big youth ministry and they end up comparing themselves to it, uh, and feeling like I can't put on a, a, on a big show like that. Uh, so that must mean we don't have much worth. And I just want to flip the tables on that, man. The pathway to great youth ministry is shorter in a small church and you can do, and I'm not saying you're all in small churches, but more commonly so than a whole bunch of really huge churches. Right. And, uh, and beautiful, beautiful stuff can happen in that context because the great youth ministry is walking alongside kids on their journeys toward Jesus. So too many people are ignoring that. This is still going back to your question about what's changed. And part of my answer is not enough.
1: Mm-hmm. We
3: as a tribe of youth workers, paid volunteer, bivocational, 17 hats, like it seems like the you uh, podcast hosts all wear, We need to uh, update our vision for what it is we're attempting to do. We need to update our thinking about what teenagers need. And that's not a program. It's a a group of adults, as diverse as you can get it, who are willing to engage teenagers in in their world and walk alongside them to create a safe place for them to uh, express doubts and to ask questions and to wrestle with things. Um, that's that's great youth ministry. Yeah,
0: I'm resisting. No, I'm just gonna. I'm not even gonna resist the urge. All I want to say is, but but Get but in. But. <laughs> but come on. Are you serious? <laughs> There's still the big church down the road who has everybody. Yeah, and they're doing all right. those like.
3: Yeah. What do you mean? So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I was wrong. Forget it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, so I'm not trying to dismiss big church down the road. Maybe they're doing wonderful things. I I go to a big church. I'm part of a youth ministry in a big church. Okay. I just think that the question is, what how are we defining success? So there's lots of ways you could define it, and certainly it's likely. Again, not to slam every big church because I know some big churches who have wonderful youth ministry and great measurements for what success looks like. But a lot of big churches would define sex, sex <laughs> success. Yeah. How would they define oh, it? They Mark? define sex in some other way. <laughs> 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 leaving that in. <laughs> uh, so they define success uh, merely by numbers. There's plenty of small churches who fall to that trap too, right? But if our goal is to walk alongside teenagers, uh, then just getting more teenagers in the door is not necessarily a win. Because if we can't walk alongside them because there's too many of them, then our approach is going to break down, right? So um, I think there's lots of ways to to define success. And the research on adolescent faith development over the last decade uh, 15 years now, I guess, there's been some excellent, excellent research um, done. And just over and over again, it's kind of shown some of the same results. S- active involvement in a church youth ministry, when not coupled with engagement with the congregation, is very unlikely to lead to a young person holding on to a faith after their youth group experience. And so I think what's often happening in kind of the big show approach to youth ministry is they're getting lots of momentum. There's a lot of hype. That's still attractive. If you throw enough money at it to make it good. Uh, and so they're getting some numerical traction, but they don't have any stickiness. Um, and the vast, vast majority of those teenagers will walk away, um, mm. from their faith or at least from church attendance. Right. Mm. Um, I mean, I always say, look, I can double the size of your youth group within a month if you let me give away free beer, right? So there are <laughs> there are ways to grow your numbers, but come on, you're it's Lutherans. Brilliant. You can't be a pride. You brilliant. can't find a beer joke problematic, right? That's um, amazing. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, numbers should be looked at. I, I'm not somebody who ignores numbers, I just think that they don't tell the whole story. And first we have to figure out what is it that we're specifically called to do in this youth ministry? What Mm -hmm. is it that we're, and by the way, here's another change in the seventies and eighties and nineties, we could just look to other youth ministries. Let's say successful ones, maybe a healthy way of saying that would be ones that we wanted to emulate for whatever reason and just copy their approach. And it kind of worked, doesn't work anymore. So Mm -hmm. one of the ways that I see so many youth workers kind of scrambling these days is trying to figure out why is that not working? I'm copying somebody else who's totally winning and we're getting really close to it and it, it, my kids hate it. Well, the reality is with this splintered youth culture and as a result a tribalism across all ages, what we've seen is, uh, uniqueness and contextualization matters more than ever. Mm -hmm. Early in the days of the internet, people prognosticated that like youth culture was going to normalize everywhere because, you know, 14 year olds would find their friendship group all over the world and youth culture would get flattened. Just the opposite happened. When I travel to speak to youth events at different parts of the country, I find more regional differences than I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is if we want to be effective in our contexts, we have to, I tell youth workers, you've got to fly your freak flag, <laughs> <laughs> right? You've got to, you've got to own up yeah. to what is unique about your ministry and you mm-hmm. and your approach and the kids that God has already brought uh, into your midst. Cause here's, here's the reality. And I've said this out, elsewhere, but Literally everywhere I go in the world these days, and not even just everywhere I go in the U.S., but everywhere I go in the world, the best youth ministries are weird. They have a high degree of self-awareness about their uniquenesses, and they celebrate those rather than tamping them down. Hmm. So that's one, one aspect of, of what's really needed. The other, I would say, is a, a dependence Or remembering that we need to have a dependence on the leading of the Holy Spirit rather than just brainstorming and coming up with uh, the best ideas. And I have gotten in my ripe old age of 59 and a half, I'm a better small group leader with my junior high guys today than I was even five years ago because I'm learning more about following the quiet, gentle leadings of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that even includes. That's not just in the macro stuff about how should we structure our youth ministry. That's in the micro stuff of me deciding whether that kid's response to my question and his response was completely off topic. Is that a distraction and just something that's going on in his brain or the burrito he had for dinner? Or is it? Or is that where the gooey center of youth ministry is down there? If I go down there, and Mm -hmm. that's a discernment question, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I I really believe that in 2022, if you want to be a great youth worker, it's not about the old school skills that are nice to haves, but not have to haves being a relational magnet, or Mm -hmm. um, you know, being funny or a good storyteller, or A good speaker, a good party planner, whatever. Those aren't bad skills. They're just not essential. What's essential? Being able to follow the lead, leading uh, uh, of God, the leading, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and responding to the unique contextual space that you find yourself in, and and in a celebratory way rather than a apologetic way.
0: So you've hinted at this a couple of times, and I just want to push on it a little bit. So you uh, talk about the importance of the adults that are around in the ministry, which is more than me, the youth worker, right? Yeah. And And which I agree with completely. What I'm curious about is the conversation that you have with the adults that you want to engage in the ministry. How is it different than the conversation that we have with with our young people because I think you have really captured like where our young people are and how to engage the culture that our young people are in. But as you said, many of the adults that we want to be a part of this are immigrants into this culture and have a different lens that they're looking at things through and have different ideas of what youth ministry should be. And so what's the is there a is there a difference in how we engage the adult people that we want to help make us help us do something.
3: I definitely think that the, let's call it the, the elevator pitch, the recruitment pitch is probably different or it should be different than it was 30 years ago. Cause it used to be, Hey, do you want to help come run the youth program or, or do you want to be a chaperone? We used to use that kind of language. Right. And so, if we do that, and th- if we make that pitch, and then we actually expect or desire for them to become relational youth ministers, in a sense, then it's a bait and switch. So I do think we need to be honest about inviting people into walking alongside teenagers, that we're we're inviting people to be part of a team who uh, engage teenagers in dialogue about all aspects of life, including faith, and that you don't. I mean, one of the beauties is that you don't, we can tell people you don't have to be an expert at all because this is about the journey, not about the destination. Um, and yeah, so I do think that the ask is a little bit different. And then I think, uh, I'd say two other things that it's, it's critical that that team of people, uh, who are, uh, involved in a youth ministry really develop their own sense of community, um, If that team, even if it's only three people, if that team genuinely has affection and respect for one another, it trickles over into all kinds of good stuff. If that team doesn't know each other and doesn't trust and respect each other, then um, it'll always be a limitation in the youth ministry. So I I always want to develop this is, I think, one of the primary roles of a paid youth worker is to... Recruit and develop a team of people who love each other and are in this together. Right. And then there's some aspect of training that I think is helpful. Mm -hmm. And there's so many resources to help with that. I mean, just listen to this podcast once a month would be a good starting place. Right.
1: Yeah. That's right.
2: We hope so, at least. (laughs) (laughs) In the coaching that you're doing, what sorts of conversations? happen amongst your coaching cohorts. Mm-hmm. And this may be a, a pitch moment for you, but um like what what are the benefits of being a part of a coaching co- cohort in these strange times we find ourselves in?
3: Oh awesome. Thank you. What a great question and thanks for the opportunity. Thank, thanks for that soft pitch that <laughs> yeah. you just lobbed my way. Um <laughs> I mean, being a youth worker these days is hard and complex and confusing, right? Um, I mean, every I, I've currently got about four four cohorts going, I think, at the moment, um, and every one of them is filled with youth workers who are struggling. They're all struggling. Uh, some of them are uh, some are losing their jobs. Some have are thinking about moving on. Some are just trying to figure out how to do this well. So really, I think that uh, there are there's several benefits or uh, themes. You could look at it either way. One is just a team of people to help journey together to acknowledge that your concerns and struggles are legit. And uh, but it's more than a therapeutic therapeutic group because there is training involved uh, and a, some very intentional processes. So I would say that uh, our coaching program is not a skill training program. It's really a whole life leadership development program for youth workers. We teach uh, deeper thinking. We teach uh, people how to lead from uh, how to create and lead from values um, and change theory and, you know, a variety of things like that. In fact, I often find that the people who get the most out of our coaching program are people who have a few years of experience already. And. I mean, people with 30 years of experience have gone through this and it said it's the best, best thing that they've ever participated in in terms of their own growth and transformation. So I think what a lot of people are wrestling with are the very questions we've talked about on this episode. They're wrestling with why isn't what I've been why isn't my youth ministry working to the degree that I think it should be? Or they'll say, something like we're getting a lot of kids coming or whatever their view of that is. So we're kind of being successful by traditional metrics, but I just know so many of my kids in their college years who completely walk away from this. How do I, how do I stem the bleeding on that? You know? So it's, these questions are often the ones that come up as well as, you know, last week at a cohort, somebody just wanted input on what games is, are working for you guys. So it's all some of the traditional stuff also. Yeah. But yeah, that's the idea of using a cohort approach is that I'm facilitating and I'm bringing con- some content, but it's a group learning process that we're going through together.
2: Cool. And you said that you have, um, you're forming new cohorts. Oh yeah. Right now. Is that
3: true? Yes. Thanks. We actually, are working on filling five cohorts right now, and all of them are getting close to be to filled and launching. One is in Northern Indiana, uh, probably like Goshen area, and that only has two spots left. Left, it's eight of ten people uh, are in it already. Uh, and then when we're doing in the one in the Dallas area, and that has nine of ten people already in it, so we just are looking for one more person. Uh, We've got a women in youth ministry cohort. That's a slightly different approach in that there's two meetings in person, but four meetings online, whereas most of our uh, cohorts have six meetings in person and uh, because that's more of a national cohort. Um, So that's uh, an awesome option. That one also only has two spots left. Uh, We've got one uh, that's called the San Diego 10 by 10 uh, cohort. It's in partnership with Fuller Youth Institute and a new initiative they're doing called the uh, 10 by 10 collaboration, which in a long roundabout way is why I'm with you guys today. Um, yes, we somebody, learned about
2: 10 by 10 last month. <laughs> somebody Karen. did. I
3: Yeah, there you go. Because somebody I met at that uh, national gathering of the 10 by 10 collaboration moved me along to you, I think is what happened. So, huh. um, uh, and so, yeah, that's a pilot cohort that we're going to do here in San Diego, uh, but it uh, has three meetings in person and three online um, at a steeply discounted price because of uh, support from uh, FYI. That one also only has two more spots. Uh, and then the last one is the Denver cohort is half full right now. So we've got five more spots in that one. That was a long cool. answer. We've All that's on the youth cartels website. Hmm, Thank awesome. you for
1: asking.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, Adam, you want to do it. You want, you're going to
1: ask the question. Well, maybe are we asking the same question? Yeah. The final thing.
0: Yeah. Go for it. You can do it. Uh,
1: One thing that we have uh, asked many of our guests, I can't say all guests because sometimes we forget to to ask this question of of, uh, our guests, but um, I think that you would have a, a great answer. Uh, we've Ooh. made it a, a tradition of asking if you could, you know, you know, the audience and you've been speaking to them this uh, this entire episode. But um, if you could say one thing to uh, youth workers and people who are working with young people uh, out there in the, the current landscape of of church and Christianity and youth ministry, if you could say one thing that uh, to that group of people. What would it be?
3: I just that God is so pleased with you. Hmm. Really, that would that would just be it over and over again. I just so many youth workers are discouraged or don't feel like they're good enough or have imposter syndrome, or and I just want to say to all of them, well, not me. I want them to hear God saying, "Oh, I'm so pleased with you. Thank you, thank hmm. you for spending time and energy." And money and all kinds of stuff that are limited resources for you. Thank you for spending that on these kids, these teenagers that I love so dearly. Yeah, that's what I would say.
2: Love. It. That's me. good news. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think we we won't actually make this a five-hour episode, but I think it you're right. It easily could be. I can yeah. listen to you chat about this all day. Thanks so much for being with us and you for bet. Um, sharing a little bit about what the youth cartel is up to and looking forward to maybe crossing paths with the 10 by 10 uh, initiative going forward. Yeah. But thanks so much for taking time out of your day to join us.
3: You bet. Thanks, guys. That's Thank great. You. Thanks, Thank Marco. you.
2: Before we go, here's a few quick announcements and reminders. Extravaganza 2023 registration is open. I registered yesterday and registrations are coming in fast and furious. If you're thinking about going, get yourself registered soon. It's going to be a great time of renewal, learning, and networking. And you're going to want to be there. More info at ext23.org. The network is introducing something brand new. Oasis. Oasis is an online event that will happen two to three times a year. 90 minutes of learning and conversation. And our first Oasis session is on Thursday, November 10th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. 7 p.m. Eastern, and our special guest teacher is Mark Iaconelli, who is fantastic. He's the teacher, speaker, and author, and his latest book is called Between the Listening and the Telling, How Stories Can Save Us. The best part is if you have a network-paid membership, Oasis is free. For non-network members or basic network members, the cost is only $25. Get more info and register at elcaymnet.org Oasis. You've heard us talk a lot. About Martin's List, a resource sharing website. There are over 425 resources currently on Martin's List. Don't forget, when you create something, when you write something, you can share it with others on Martin's List. The work you've done to create can be helpful to your colleagues in the network, and their work can help you. That's what Martin's List is for. If you've got something like a Bible study, an activity, a retreat outline, whatever it might be, please share it on Martin's List. Thanks to all of you who are members of the network. Your membership makes things like Third Tuesday Conversation, our mobile app, Connect Journal, Discipling Cohorts Initiative, and extravaganza, and so much more possible. If you're not a member of the network, we encourage you to join. If you are, double check to make sure your membership is up to date. Do so by logging in to the website and clicking on your name at the top to see your account status. We're grateful to be a community that cares for this ministry. Thanks so much for listening. New podcasts will be released on the third Tuesday of every month. Be sure to subscribe so you receive them as they come out and share them with your friends. Finally, thanks to Paul Amlin, the 3TC producer for his work. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye.